welcome back to Capitalize Your Fridays. I'm Taylor Dennis, Senior Wealth Design Specialist and VP of Altius Financial. I'm joined by our co-host, Mike Williams, founder of Altius Financial, and our new guest speaker, Tara Miller. Hey guys, thanks for having me <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> thanks for being here, Tara. We really appreciate you uh, joining us. This is an area that um, lots of people have an interest in and uh, we have some opinions about, but you're the authority, so I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Happy to be here. Yeah. So before we really dive into our discussion on student loan payments and repayments, um, I wanted to just, just start off with our quick disclaimer. So before we really hop into that discussion, just a reminder, anything that we say on this podcast is not meant to be direct advice. It's more just trying to help educate our listeners and maybe have a little bit of a fun discussion. Um, if you do have any questions about your specific financial planning, and investing strategy, feel free to reach out to your advisor and your financial team, or if you don't already have one, reach out to Altius Financial. We're always looking for a great like-minded clients, and so we'd love to speak further with you. If you're looking to reach out to us, our contact information is taylor at altiusfinancial.com or michael at altiusfinancial.com, or we have lots of wonderful resources at our website, www.alt iusfinancial.com. Okay, so let's kind of get started. So Tara, you and I met, I, I don't know, like three years ago, maybe at a conference. Um, I think it was and, like six years ago, actually. It was a oh long gosh, time. gosh, I'm older than I remember. <laughs> it was a while ago. Yeah. Yeah, that might have been, was that back in college? It was. It was 2016. Oh, wow. Yeah. So time flies, but um, I've kind of been following along with you and we've kind of talked over the years about things we're doing in our careers. And it's kind of piqued my interest because I saw that you had a whole social platform dedicated towards paying off debts. And so I thought, oh, well, with everything going on with the student loan repayment process, I wanted to kind of hear your insight on that. Would you like to share a little bit with the listeners about like your background or um, your experience in like debt payoff and, and that social platform, if you want to share about it as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I graduated college with a bachelor's in finance and financial planning. Um, and then I worked in the financial planning industry for about five years after graduating college. And I've since transitioned into the fintech world, working for a student loan company um, in underwriting and operations. So kind of transitioned my career a little bit, but still, you know, within the industry. Um, so I've always had, you know, a passion for helping others with their student loans. And when I worked in financial planning, um, you know, I helped people mostly in the medical field, you know, with debt plans and budgets and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I've always been passionate about helping others with their student loans, which is the main reason why I created my social platform, Debt Free Millennial. Um, and, you know, I was sharing a lot of stuff on my personal Instagram wasn't really getting a lot of engagement. I'm sure a lot of my friends and family don't really care as much about that stuff. So I wanted to create something that was, you know, meant for those people who really wanted to learn about that and, you know, know more about student loans and other finance related topics. So I share a lot of content on there curated towards millennials about student loans, but I also branch into, you know, other topics in personal finance as well. That's a fantastic background. I'm, I'm curious. I know we're going to get into some of the questions, the meat of our topic about, you know, uh, how people should think about their student loans. But um, how is that new social media site doing? How, how are you? What kind of 
measurement do you have in terms of the results of uh, debt-free millennial? Are you getting good response? Yeah, so I started it at the beginning of the year. Um, so I've had it for a little over three months now. And, you know, I'm, I'm just about to 800 followers on Instagram. So um, I get a lot of good engagement. I've, you know, created a lot of different um, connections with other people kind of in that space as well. So it's been great. And I'm excited to see kind of where it goes from here. Yeah, what a fantastic Thanks. idea. I mean, you know, you, you sort of at least old guys like me sort of characterize millennials as, you know, not really caring about debts, you know, whatever. And that's, that's a great, uh, really great idea. And um, we want to promote it. Um, having millennials understand how important it is to be debt free. So that's good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I definitely think we hear a lot about the Dave, Dave Ramsey method of things. And it's good to hear kind of like a contrasting view of, oh, you don't have to like hide in a box and just go to work every day in order to pay off debts and have like a strong financial future. Like you can you can live your life and make financial progress too. And so I love hearing from voices that have like a similar perspective in that way. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the biggest thing that you kind of see on social media is like you can't buy your $5, $7 coffee. You know, it'll prevent you from retiring. And so it's, you know, stuff like that where it's just like very minimal. And, you know, it's good to see a different perspective, like you said. Yeah, definitely. And like choosing to val like what the value is there. Right. So I, I do want to kind of circle back to what the whole theme of today and is. And um, I hope for any of our listeners who maybe have student loans or maybe you're not keeping up with the news on what's going on. Do you want to share a little bit about the recent findings that we have on the student loan repayment process? Yeah, so as of last week, they were supposed to restart on May 1st, and they announced an extension again. Um, this is now the sixth extension they've done since COVID started. And so they extended the payment pause and interest waiver to August 31st of 2022. Um, so that means that most people, you know, if that's the final extension, will probably have payments due around September or October is my guess. Um, there's also been talk about them possibly extending it again after that through the end of the year, but we'll just have to see. Um, another thing that I wanted to mention that they announced is that they're basically going to wipe out any um, defaults or delinquencies that people had prior to COVID and kind of give everyone a fresh start once payments restart. So I thought that was really awesome. So for those of us who don't know much about like loans and repayments, what does that mean by they're wiping out the defaults? I mean, are they just saying, ah, oh, that one doesn't count? Like, let's start over with a fresh balance, or is that I'm fixing your credit rating? You don't have a bunch of credit people calling you every day, or like, what? What does that mean? Yeah, exactly. So, like, when you go into defaults um, or collections or something like that, your loan kind of gets sold to a collection collections agency and you know, they can maybe help you come up with a payment plan, but, you know, it reflects negatively on your credit, basically, um, especially, you know, when you're late payments or delinquent. So um, it'll be really good for those people. It'll kind of help them repair their credit and kind of get a fresh start and have their payments, you know, not behind when they restart. So where do you think they're coming up with that, that um, asset base to bring people current or to, to wipe out their their uh, defaults and penalties? Where do you think that money's coming from? Um, 
You know, I, I think a lot of people have, you know, struggled these last two years. And so being able to kind of get that fresh start, I think is going to be very refreshing for a lot of people and kind of a relief. Um, that's kind of where I think it's coming from, just to kind of give people that peace of mind. No, I realize that they're, they're definitely wanting the students to say, well, you know, let's repay your credit and give you a break. And But where do you think the money is coming from? Yeah, I, that's a great question, and I, I wish I knew. <laughs> yeah, I, so the short answer, I mean, the short answer, and I, I don't want to get us off track, but the short answer is that's coming from taxpayers. I mean, one way or another, you know, the people who are being um, holding that bag, so to speak, or the ones who are on the hook for it are taxpayers. Um, you know, they're ta- my understanding is they're, you know, they're basically saying, okay, this is an important enough priority either to wipe out debt or wipe, at least wipe out uh, penalties and, and uh, late payments and so forth. Um, that's, that means the taxpayers are paying for it. And again, you know, that's kind of the old guy perspective. Um, I think you know, your original uh, FinTech idea or your social media idea of actually um, educating millennials about debt and becoming debt free um, is crucial. But are we, and, and this maybe is getting too political, but we, we start talking about, well, should taxpayers um, be on the line for choices that students or millennials made? And that's a question I want to make sure is out there. Um, right. Does that, yeah. does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So, Taylor, how, how does that uh, fold into the other questions you had? Well, so I, I was going to continue on with asking about, well, what does that look like as far as next steps for, um, for our listeners? So if, if you're listening and you say, oh, okay, this is great. This means that in two weeks, I don't have to start these payments, but I need to be prepared for them starting later on in the year. What do I need to know before they do restart? Do I need to sign something up again? Um, do my rates change at all? Is there someone I need to inform? Do my lenders change? I saw you said something about um, possibly a change in lenders as these are restarting and coming out of default. So Tara, like what is your insight on those topics? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as far as payments restarting, um, you know, whenever those restart, my biggest thing is that people make sure that they re-sign up for auto pay. So when this payment pause happened, all everyone's auto pay, auto payments were canceled. Um, and so you want to make sure that whenever payments do restart, that you re-sign up for auto pay. And of course, you can make a manual payment every month. But um, a good reminder is that most servicers do give a you know 0.25% interest discount for doing auto payments. So I can save you money by you know setting up those auto payments and just making sure that you get those payments in on time. Okay, that's that's good to know. I don't think I knew that you get a discount for doing an auto pay. So were, were people who, I mean, let's say on the prior, you know, five extensions that they talked about, were they kind of waiting, you know, saying, okay, uh, I might have to sign up for a new auto pay. Oh, here it is. They extended again. Or how were people, how were students in the past several, you know, the last year or so reacting to those building up to, oh, now they're going to start up again. No, they're extending it. How were people dealing with that? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how the servicers have been handling that. You know, this has been this last extension and announcement of the extension was probably the closest we came to payments restarting. And so before that, you know, we had like two months before payments restarted, at least, you know, before every extension. So we had a little bit more time. 
Um, I'm not exactly sure if servicers were reaching out, kind of like reminding uh, borrowers if they should, you know, set up auto pay again or what that looked like. Um, I no longer have federal loans of my own, so um, I wish I kind of had more insight into what that looked like on the borrower side. And so kind of a continuation, you said, so you've already paid off any kind of federal loans. Are the private loans on pause right now as well, or is it only if you have directly federal loans? Yeah, so I refinanced my federal loans to private back in December. Um, I was really sure that they were not going to extend um, when payments were going to be due in February, but, you know, we just never know at this point. So I refinanced, which is great. You know, I got a really low rate locked in, as we know, rates are really low right now, historically. Um, but private loans are not part of the, you know, payment and interest pause and waiver right now. So uh, private federal or private student loans have been required to make their payments this whole time. Um some lenders who offer, you know, refinancing or in-school private loans have offered, you know, some type of, you know, maybe short-term forbearance or deferral of their payments if, you know, people qualify due to COVID or a loss of a job or something like that. So they have offered some programs, but not quite as lenient as the federal, you know, payment pause. Yeah. And then, so for our listeners who maybe they do still have federal loans, but they maybe they haven't had any kind of income issues over the last few years so maybe they're they've got a stable job that hasn't had any kind of change and they're thinking well you know what i i want to pay this down what what are your thoughts to those people because can is it correct in assuming so you can continue paying them even while it's in this deferral period but you're not getting that accrued interest is that correct yeah, that's correct. So you can certainly make payments during this time period, you know, that's definitely allowed. And, you know, some people do recommend that it just kind of depends on your individual situation. So like you said, if you have stable income, and you can afford it, it's, you know, at 0% interest, so you're not accruing that interest. And most of the payment that you make will probably go right towards principal. And so it's, you know, it's great to make payments right now, um, if you can afford it. Um, but you know, if you have other interest, high interest debt, I would, you know, say put it towards that and kind of pay that down first since this one isn't accruing interest right now. Okay. Tara, what do you think are the best options to uh, refinance student loan debt? Yeah, so kind of similar, it all depends on your individual situation. But, you know, if you, like we said earlier, have a stable income and, you know, you don't have a, a need to pursue PSLF or public service loan forgiveness, which is for federal loans, um, refinancing might be a good idea. Um, so like for me, I was not pursuing that public service loan forgiveness program. I had a stable income and decided, you know, my loans are at 0%, but private interest rates are also really low. So do I wanna wait out until, you know, payments restart and have my federal loans these higher interest rates or do I want to refinance them now and lock in a really low rate? So um, refinancing is a great idea if you have that stable income and you're not pursuing public service loan forgiveness. Do you kind of know right now? I mean, I know that it's a moving target, especially with the inflationary environment and the Fed, you know, raising rates a little bit, but what are, you know, sort of comparable rates, you know, that people would look at right now for either private or or uh, uh, federal loans? 
Yeah. So as far as refinancing to private loan, um, I would say I've seen most people get maybe like three to 5% is pretty typical right now. Um, when I refinanced back in December, I got 2.66%, which is crazy. Um, nice. Unheard of. So that was really awesome. But they've gone up slightly since then. So that's probably the range we're in right now, which is really great considering a lot of federal loans could be anywhere from like 3 to 7 or 8%. So for our listeners who are maybe thinking, hey, rates are, are looking like they're rising, and maybe by the end of this year, I'm probably going to have to start paying this loan back. Would you advise more of those people to say, hey, if I can afford to pay now, I need to really jump on this before rates continue to rise? Or would you say it's worth saying, okay, well, I should try and just save that money and defer as long as possible? Or yeah, it yeah. probably varies. <laughs> yeah, it definitely, again, varies on your individual situation. But you know, like I said, if you're not doing that public service loan forgiveness and, you know, you don't have a need to be in some type of income-based repayment plan, which is something that's offered usually only with federal loans, um, I would definitely say refinancing could be a good option. But um, I would just say keep in mind that when you do refinance, it is moving from a federal to a private loan and you give up any of the federal benefits as far as, you know, the interest waiver, the 0% interest, the payment pause, income-based repayment options, or, you know, anything that the federal government offers, you're giving up when you refinance. Even okay. even up to and potentially the forgiveness, right? I mean, if, exactly. if they do. Yeah. So is that a gamble that you, I mean, I, I you know, I kind of got off on started talking about the old guy perspective and, and it, it, that's not really fair to say it's just an old it's it's a taxpayer perspective and a moral hazard perspective but i mean is someone is a student right now kind of thinking well maybe i should refinance and i'll get a lower rate and i'll you know I, i'll be paying my loan back but you know heck they might actually even forgive mine so i should wait yeah i mean it's certainly a gamble and it's a hard decision to make and that's something that i struggled with deciding do i want to do that and you know, if they do offer some type of forgiveness, unfortunately, I won't be getting any of it. And that's, you know, kind of a downside, but you just kind of have to weigh the pros and cons of your personal situation. How, how big a disappointment would that be to you? I mean, would you be like, damn, I, I should have waited? <laughs> I would definitely be a little disappointed. Um, you know, that was a big thing that I kind of had to think about. But yeah. You know, I, I don't, I'm not someone that has, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt. So, you know, if I did have that much, I would, I probably would have kept it. You know, my, my loans are a little bit lower balanced than some. So it wasn't as, you know, big of a deal for me, I guess. But So that's, that's part of the, you know, strange incentives though too, right? I mean, if, if someone's, you know, gone overboard, I don't know, that's a value decision, judgment. But if somebody's got a lot of student debt, they're, they're more likely to say, you know, I'm going to I'm going to do anything I can to in my own interest, reduce the interest or try to defer as long as I can. Or hopefully they'll forgive it and not do the sort of, you know, I'd say the responsible thing that you did to say, you know, I'm going to refinance this. I'm going to get it paid off. I'm going to get paid down. Um, so there's some funky incentives that we have um, in the whole program. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, I think the challenge likely comes in where you, you were saying that 100,000 loans, it's likely that people who got a bachelor's type degree and then they turned around and said, 
oh, well, this, this won't suffice for my specific industry. So maybe like doctors or lawyers or anyone in that kind of field where you say, well, I'm going to need an additional degree to kind of cover that. So then you're compounding those loans. Exactly. But yeah, I, I agree, Mike. It, it kind of counter incentivizes you to pay them back if you're saying, well, if you do any kind of refinance, you're, you're going to lose any kind of benefit of, um, of having a forgiveness on that. Yeah, or leniency of any kind. Yeah. And you're, you're right. I mean, a person who maybe has more debt did that hopefully consciously and saying, you know, this is going to be a really good investment in my earning power over time. But um, but that should be you know th that should be their risk instead of you know someone else's or the taxpayer's risk. Another thing, while we're kind of talking about the concept of loan forgiveness, um, is the question around like is that going to be would that be a taxable income to the receiver or not? Do you know if that's the case? I I think I'd heard that it wasn't, but that it was being re-reviewed. Yeah, specifically so, for the PSLV stuff. Yeah. PSLF. So, um, as of right now, they made any type of forgiveness tax-free through, I believe, 2025. Um, and I don't remember if they uh, made that permanent or not yet, but I think they are, that is something that they're discussing is making that permanent or at least extending it even further um, to make any type of forgiveness tax-free. Because in the past, um, certain types of forgiveness, whether it was the PSLF or the longer term forgiveness where you pay for 20 or 25 years, um, I think one of those was taxable. And that was kind of a big burden and something that people didn't really feel like pursuing because they would you know, end up with this big tax bill at the end of it. So I yeah, because I, I recently spoke with someone and they were saying, well, if if I find that I hit that, yeah, that 20 year rate, and then I'm living in a state like New York where the income, where the state income tax is high. And then I also have a high federal income tax. And I've just now received this $100,000 loan payoff, which is adding $100,000 to my ordinary income for the year. I mean, that quickly becomes a 30, 40 plus K type tax bill. Yeah. So, it's, so. you know, I think it was really great that they made that tax free because it incentivizes a lot more people to do the forgiveness. But I, I also think on the flip side, it needs to be something we make sure our listeners are keeping up to date with, because if 2025 rolls around and you've got this huge kind of payout that great, it's going to be forgiven. Do you have the savings to cover that? Or is it going to be all of a sudden I can't pay my taxes? That was half my salary, what, what's going on with my financial situation right now. So maybe make sure our listeners are thinking, hey, what is the probability that this could be a taxable event? And what kind of income would that look like to me if it were? And maybe be prepared from a savings perspective exactly. for the off chance. Yeah, I agree. So Tara, I have another question. And this is more about like, um, you know, I, I wonder if you now are involved in the whole idea of counseling people on, you know, the issue of taking out debt for student loans. And if you have tips, you know, before they even start college, if you have tips for, for students and parents about, you know, the whole idea of taking out student debt and then making those trade-off decisions uh, about, okay, am I going to be able to pay this loan back? Am I, you know, am I going to be able to do that? Any tips there? Yeah, so I mean, I think the biggest thing is just educating young people on what student loans are, what they mean, and how, you know, how much it might cost you to pay them back. Because 
you know, I just remember a situation that I had with my sister when she graduated and she didn't realize that any of the federal loans she had taken out were something that she had to repay. You know, it's kind of a confusing way that they say it. It's federal student aid, and that kind of confuses a lot of people and makes it seem like it's free money or, you know, a scholarship or a grant of some sort that isn't repayable. Um, And so there's a lot of confusion, and it's not, you know, I feel like it's not taught as much as it should be in, like, high schools. I think there should be, you know, some type of financial literacy classes that, explains a little bit more about that stuff but that's a bigger conversation i think um, they, should all go, they should all go through a taylor's household and have her stepdad teach them yeah <laughs> but i mean i think parents can also kind of step in there and just you know spend a little bit extra time you know with their kids as they're going to college and kind of educate them more on it and figure out, you know, what's the best situation for them. Um, because, you know, as you probably know, when you take out federal student loans, um, they don't do any type of credit check. They don't see if that student is, you know, what likeliness they have of paying that back, you know, in the future um, compared to private loans where they you know, do credit checks, they check your income, stuff like that. Um, so a lot of people are stuck with these federal loans that they might not be able to pay back. So I think education is just the biggest thing. Yeah. And maybe even education on, okay, well, what's the value of this college degree versus really like, do I want to spend tens of thousands of dollars on this degree? Is it worth it to go to this higher education school for the type of career I want? Or do I even need that? Could I do like a, I don't know, like a technical type school where or maybe an internship it's or apprenticeship yeah. or something like that. I mean, there's a lot. That, yeah. I think more and more people are be, becoming aware of and educated about the topic of education. And you know, is it for its own sake or is it to get a, some kind of marketable skills? And you know, that's a debate and, and something that's hopefully much healthier. You know, we've been talking about. And I, I wanted to ask you, Tara, about just the whole term. You know, the student loan bubble. You hear this, right? And that's partly why you know you, you have the the role that you do to be able to say, no, we need this. This is a problem. We have a society and cultural problem. Um, just even that term, is that, um, I don't know, is that a, a good question? I've actually never heard the term student loan bubble, but I mean, it, it totally oh. makes sense. Um, I, I, I agree. That's de- it's definitely an issue that's, you know, become very prevalent today. And it's a big topic that a lot of people are talking about. Yeah, I, I guess it's maybe just my generation of people who are talking about it like it's, you know, it's something that's about to really become catastrophic because there's all these kids out there who have, you know, unpayable debts and, and you know, they won't be able to. So that's going to cascade into more social problems in terms of the federal budget um, trying to relieve that debt. Um, so it's, it's, it's a really important thing that you're doing, um, you know, educating people about this, especially the earlier on, like you said, is, is having them be clear on, okay, well, this really is a loan. It's, it's not just a aid or scholarship and it is something that's going to be expected to be paid back and, and the relative value of that education. Yeah. So there's been a lot of talk about the increase in cost of goods. And we talked about the, how there's student loans that are fixed rate and there's some that are based on your income. Um, do you have any advice for those going back into starting these loans and what that might look like for them 
I mean, I imagine there's people who a year or two ago had maybe a higher income than they're going to at the time that these restart, or on the flip side, they might have a lower income. Would you have differing advice for people with changing incomes versus consistent? And is there a change in the interest rate because of the recent rising interest rates? Yeah. So I would say if you have a consistent income and, you know, you think that you're going to be able to afford your payments just as usual, then, you know, that's great. Um, if you have had a change in income since, you know, the last two years, um, whether it's making more or maybe making less, um, you know, if you have federal student loans, there's always income based repayment as an option. Um, and as far as private student loans, or even if you have federal loans and have a stable income, you can always refinance um, and possibly, you know, get a lower interest rate, get a lower payment, or, you know, extend the term a little if that works for you and kind of lower your payment that way. Um, but there's a lot of different options as far as figuring out, you know, how to afford your payment if your income has changed. For those who've maybe had an increase in income, are they going to immediately see an increase in that payment amount if it, if it is income adjusted? Or is there like a time when that would kick in and maybe they need to do a refinance before that? Or um, do you have any background on that type of information? Yeah. So as far as, um, so this would apply for someone, only someone who's in like an income-based repayment plan um, on your federal student loans. So whether that's someone who's pursuing public service loan forgiveness, or, you know, you just had yourself in an income-based repayment program for another reason, maybe you couldn't afford your payments, your standard payments. Um, a lot of times you recertify your income once a year, and a lot of people right now have not recertified their income for, you know, two or three years at least, um, if not longer, because of this payment pause. And so what I've heard is that the earliest that someone would have to recertify their income would be sometime in 2023. Um, and so it could be a while before they require you to submit additional income documentation. Um, but you can always recertify before that, you know, if you have lower income now and want that lower payment, then definitely recertify, show them that you have lower income and need to reduce your payment. If you have increased income, then it's good to wait it out as long as possible and not recertify. Okay. Um, from before, so. Okay. Um, and then on a similar note, so for those of you who have been payments and they're in the Pacific, the um, well, not Pacific, the federal student loan forgiveness? How does that impact their forgivability? Is it are the is the timeline that they've had to pay jumped ahead to these past two years, or is it pushed back? Um, and then similarly, what does that do for people who have just regular loans in general that are federal loans, like is their timeline pushed forward or back? So I think of it as like a car loan. If I've got 30 payments total, do you still have the remaining 20 or is that now extended or? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so this payment pause is kind of a big deal because there's a lot of borrowers who might have graduated in the last two years that have never made a payment on their federal student loans. Um, and so, you know, usually when you graduate, you 
have the whatever period you've selected, usually for federal loans, it's a 10-year payment period. That payment period starts after your grace period, which is six months after you graduate. So, you know, if you graduate in May 2022, your grace period is six months after that, and your loan term starts, you know, at that period and goes for 10 years. So, um, for a lot of people, they've never made a payment on their student loans if you graduated recently. And so, that means that you basically are extending the period of time where you have to repay your student loans. Um, so it doesn't cut that short. Um, whereas, you know, someone who's in public service loan forgiveness, these payments, the last two years or non-payments, I guess you could call it, um, have all counted towards their 120 months of public service loan forgiveness payments, um, which is great for public service loan borrowers. Um, that are pursuing that. But for others who aren't pursuing that, they've basically just put their loans on pause and it kind of has added an extra two years to their payment term. So whenever payments restart, that's when your clock starts if you've never made a payment. Um, and the same kind of goes for people who you know were paying before and haven't paid in the last two years. So if you graduated like me in 2016 and have made payments for a couple of years and then you haven't the last two, um, that kind of pushes that payment period out those two years if you haven't made a payment. And hopefully that makes sense. So it does. Uh, I was going to ask you that. I was going to clarify that. That does mean that it changes the term, so to speak, is that it basically, even if you made a payment, it's just starting the clock over. Is that what you mean? Um, yeah. So, I mean, like if you haven't made a payment the last two years, that doesn't mean that your payment term is still, you know, going to be paid off in the same amount of time because you haven't been making those payments. Um, and so, you know, say I haven't made a payment for the last two years, um, instead of my loan being paid off 10 years from when I graduated, it would now technically be paid off like 12 years from when I graduated because I haven't made a payment these last two years. But what if you did make a payment during that time period? Yeah. So, I mean, if you've been making payments this whole time and haven't missed a payment, then that's great. You haven't, you know, adjusted anything with the time, uh, the time that you would pay off your loan. But, you know, maybe you made a payment here or there. That can definitely help you. Um, but it'll definitely adjust your, you know, payoff time period a little bit. So that reminds me, um, and I don't know if you can answer this or not, but, uh, and Taylor, I'm, I'm kind of interrupting your flow of questions, but, <laughs> um, but we had, we recently had, uh, some information from, uh, the state of Colorado. And again, this is more of a 529 question. I was just so, thinking that question. <laughs> Maria, yeah. We were reading each other's minds. Um, so the, the cases where, um, my understanding is that Congress changed the law. So a person or parent using the 529 plan could use that to pay back student loans. And then we found out recently that the state of Colorado says, well, we're not going to count it that way. Uh, we'll claw back the taxes, which is not huge, but the taxes saved on the Colorado state tax return if you're using your 529 plan that way. Do you know anything about that? I actually, I did hear about, um, you know, being able to use 529s for student loan payments, um, but I'm not too familiar with the, the Colorado 529 stuff that you referred to. Do you know if uh, the Minnesota one has it available? I think I looked and the California has the same perception as Colorado where um, I think, yeah, you can pull it out up to the 10,000, but then you've got the tax issue. 
Yeah, I think that is um, probably the same in Minnesota. It's up to the 10000 per year. As an employer who has uh, employees who have student loans, um, do you know anything about? Uh- yeah, absolutely. So um, one thing that they also did um, with, I believe it was the CARES Act, was um, enabling employers to make payments to their employees' student loans um, tax-free. So it's a tax deduction on the employer's side, and it's tax-free to the employee. Um, and I believe the limit is $5,250 per year. Um, so originally it was just, you know, someone uh, as an employer could make contributions to someone's tuition payments. But then, you know, as of 2020, they added in student loan payments as well. Um, and so that's becoming a very common thing. Um, the last few years is more and more employers offering that as an employee benefit. Um, and especially if you're looking to hire and retain younger generations of employees who have those higher balances of student loans or maybe just came out of college, um, that's becoming definitely a popular thing. Yeah, it's it's interesting that all of that's kind of come out more recently um, because I also feel, I don't, and Tara, let me know if this is the case for you and Crescent, if you want to hop on and share as well, but I feel going into college, all the parents I knew said, oh, well, you're going to go to college and do this bachelor degree. But if you ever need a master's, don't worry, your, your company is going to pay for it. Like they'll cover that whole thing. It's not going to be a big deal. And I don't know if, if like, it seems like the parents that raised our current generation just said master's degrees covered bachelors. You got to work for that. But master's, those are all covered. Like, do you guys feel that was the case? Because it seems like it necess- it couldn't be a profitable option for employers before now, necessarily, because they weren't getting any tax benefits until now. Well, but yeah. I, very hold, limited. Hold on. Hold on. I got I to gotta <laughs> cut you off there. I mean, Taylor, you know, the, the primary benefit, economic benefit, should never be framed in tax terms. I mean, a company, and there are plenty of companies out there who still do. I mean, uh, not yeah. this company. <laughs> Not all these, but but larger larger uh, Fortune 500 companies still do pay for graduate degrees all the time, and they're not doing it primarily for tax benefits. They're actually trying to make their employees more valuable economically to the company, and there, that still does happen. Although, I might I might characterize it as, you know, the 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 generational thing that you're talking about. Sometimes those people think, yeah, you got a pension and so forth, and you know, now you're going pension. What's a pension? <laughs> there aren't any pensions. <laughs> So it is a different way of looking at the world, but part of it's, I mean, I, those of uh, our listeners who've heard me before know I have, you know, a certain view about uh, our culture and politics and so forth. And part of it, part of it is this idea of, you know, people trying to have uh, effects without causes. And that's, in my view, the, the government should get entirely out of the student loan business and not have these incentives for employers, not to have, you know, that, you know, we touched on inflation and that's on most of our clients' minds today. I mean, do you guys know that the, the thing that's been over the last 30 or 40 years, the highest cost in terms of inflation, meaning the, the, the thing that's gone up the most in cost is actual College tuition, tuition, higher education. Yeah. And that's partly yeah. because, in my view, that's partly because the government's been in that business. It creates all kinds of weird incentives for people to say, well, yeah, I can take out money um, and I'm going to you know, they're being promised by 
by colleges, yeah, we're going to, you can come here, come, re, they're recruiting kids and saying, come here, you're going to be great. Your life is going to be good. And the, and the colleges are spending money on, you know, Taj Mahal gymnasiums and, you know, wonderful vacation-like atmosphere, but no one has ever, you know, really represented the taxpayer and saying, wait, what are we paying for here? What, you know, are these kids actually going to get a marketable skill and be able to not only pay their, pay their student loan back, but actually be productive members of society? And that's, that's part of the debate. That I hear what you're saying. So it's kind of the phrase that you often use, which is don't let the tax tail wag the dog. So you think that the incentives shouldn't really be driving our, our decisions, but rather, okay, are we paying for a good school and a good education rather than, oh, what can the, what can the government give us tax wise? Yeah, that, that's part of the thing is those, those incentives, not just for the students themselves, but the colleges. You know that they have got incentives now to to say, okay, we can get this, we can get this large income stream either directly from student loan students who are borrowing or other government grants, and then we can you know afford to do lots of things we might not have otherwise been able to afford if we were having to to meet a market, so to speak. You know, this is a a great discussion, and we have had uh, an expert here, Tara Tara Miller, who's a uh, an expert on student loans and has her own uh, social media presence with Debt Free Millennial. DebtFreeMillennial.com, is that what you're calling it? Um, so on Instagram, it's at Debt Free Millennial, TikTok under, or Debt Free Millennial underscore, but yeah, Debt Free Millennial on pretty much any social platform. So if we have <laughs> listeners who want to follow up and, and get in touch with you, they obviously should be liking your social media platforms and really following you and supporting your work, but can they get a hold of you in some way and, and say, you know, I really do want some, some better advice about my situation? Yeah. So as far as, you know, working individually with people, it's not currently something I do. I'm happy to answer kind of, you know, general questions that people may have. Um, and I'm hoping to maybe, you know, offer some type of service and, you know, meet with people in the future and kind of answer their individual questions, but happy to kind of answer general questions via, you know, direct messages on Instagram or comments on my posts or anything like that. Cool. Great. So Taylor, have you got anything else you wanted to cover? I think that's mostly it. So um, Tara, do you kind of want to wrap up and just say, okay, if you're listening, here's when, right, as of now, they're restarting. Here's what you need to know to make sure you know where your loan is, what you need to sign up for. Um, just some final thoughts for our listeners if they are in this kind of situation. Yeah, definitely. So um, as of right now, payments are restarting August 31st. Um, doesn't mean that everyone has a payment restarting August 31st, but in the months shortly after that, your payments will be due. Um, and, you know, to keep up to date on that, I recommend, you know, making sure your contact's up to date um, with your student loan servicer. If you don't know who your student loan servicer is, because there has been a lot of changes with that recently, you can always go to studentaid.gov and look at who your loan servicer is. Um, and just kind of log in closer to when the time comes in August and see when your payment might be due. And like I said earlier, sign up for auto pay, make sure those payments are getting in on time. Perfect. Thank you so much. I really Excellent. appreciate you sharing. Thank you yeah. so much, Tara. We really appreciate the information. And uh, I want to thank everyone for listening to our podcast. We invite everyone to follow Tara's social media, but ours as well. Uh, we want you to like, follow, and friend us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn as well. Um, all of our platforms are saved as Altius Financial 
it's typed all as one word, and you'll see our logo with the, the cool uh, Greek column on it, and, and as a profile picture for Instagram and, and Facebook. We invite you to tune in to our Tuesdays, where we have finance, Financial Terminology Tuesdays with a new topic each week. And if you're interested in finding out more about how we help people make better financial decisions, please do get in contact with us. You can reach us through our website at altiusfinancial.com or, or Taylor or myself. Altius Financial is A-L-T-I-U-S financial.com. Taylor or Michael at altiusfinancial.com. Thank you guys for listening and we'll look forward to talking to you soon. You guys have a, a great Friday and have a, a wonderful weekend. Yeah, thanks everyone. Capitalize on your Fridays and your weekend.